0: This week on Life and Faith.
1: If we can just help our kids to be better listeners, they will have better friendships, they will have better relationships, people will like them more, and they will have a better life.
0: We get compassion fatigue because the news only actually brings to us the terrible things, so we lose perspective. Wow, he's going to have this as a lifelong thing?
2: I cannot tell you the number of old people that I'm talking to who are surprised by the reality of death.
0: Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX, I'm Simon Smart.
2: And I'm Natasha Moore, and today we're wading into one of the minefields of polite conversation, which is parenting.
0: Yes, there are a lot of strong opinions and insecurity, and I'll speak for myself, guilt. Bound up in the way we choose to raise kids. And and look, it might be perhaps the highest stakes thing most of us will do in our lives. So it's not surprising that temperatures tend to run high when we talk about this.
2: Well, I'm more of an observer on this, not being a parent myself, but I do find this stuff really interesting. Um, Our guest in today's episode, Susie Lee, uh, she really convinced me that the way that we parent as a culture is going to be one of the most crucial things for how we change the world, or try to, or don't. Uh, Simon, I guess you're kind of more at the light at the end of the tunnel, end of your parenting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. I mean, my kids, yeah, they're a bit older now, 19 and 17. So yes, we're out of the trenches perhaps, but I, I think, and people say this a lot, doesn't matter how old they get. <laughs> I still You're need my mum and dad. Still, they're, they're still <laughs> they're with still you. They're still influential for 100 They, on they me. still replaced whatever the biggest worry you ever had um, <laughs> before you had them. So, you know, great gift, but I think they kind of stay with you even when they leave the house. Mm. So if they do. Tell me, yeah, well, we're yet to discover that. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, my daughter thinks she'll be there for a long time to come. And I'm not arguing with that yet. Mm. So, yeah, Susie Lee, tell us about her, this book. By the sound of it, it, might be a bit late for me, but tell us, what, tell us about her.
2: Um, so Susie is trained in psychology as well as theology. She has worked in aid and development. She's done a lot of teaching and consulting on children and family stuff. Um, she <laughs> seems pretty qualified to write a book about parenting. Um, she's pulled it all together in this book that's just out this week. It's brand new. It's called Raising Kids Who Care. Practical Conversations for Exploring Stuff That Matters Together.
0: Okay, so Raising Kids Who Care. Does she have a chapter on Raising Kids Who Care enough to clean up their room?
2: <laughs> I guess that definitely would change the world for the better. It, it, it would. <laughs> so it would I, like I, it. I failed to ask her that specifically. Hmm. Um, but here's what I wanted to know. I started out asking her how this book, Raising Kids Who Care, Make sense of her quite eclectic career to date. I am a bit eclectic.
1: I you actually say that s- like it's a
2: bad thing. I, think I started really out in thing. computer
1: science. <laughs> 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 I got to visit my dad overseas. He, he was an expat in Malaysia and Saudi Arabia and all sorts of places. I, I got to see the world when I was young and impressionable, I suppose, and it made me stop taking for granted the wealth that I live in it made me see some of the problems the the things that people don't have that I had and so I guess I wanted to be part of fixing that I also grew up in a broken family dad was an alcoholic and adult children of alcoholics often want to save the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and then after studying computer science I thought oh this is not going to save the world (laughs) sorry, computer science people, Um, and studied psychology. And then a weird thing happened and I became a Christian, totally out of the blue. And then I went to Bible college. So my eclecticness came from an understanding that I wanted to be part of the solution to making things better in the world. And then finding this kind of vehicle, I guess, in in Christianity and these people that I was hanging around with who cared about this stuff as well. And then I had kids, uh-huh. <laughs> which was another wild thing. And then I passionately wanted to do a better job than my own family had done. God love them. And I ended up working in children and family and schools ministry. Teaching scripture in schools was was something I did quite early on. And I was thinking also about the extraordinary things that my kids were doing at school and and learning about and thinking about and realising we don't expect enough of kids. Kids rise to the level of our expectations and if we're expecting them to be, you know, our little babies, that's where they'll stay. And I've actually seen kids who want to change the world too, who are raising money to buy a cow for someone overseas who can't afford it, who are marching for climate change. Kids want to do things, but they kind of need our help as well. They need us to be interacting and guiding and encouraging and finding opportunities for
2: them as well. Into that mix, you also did a master's in peace and conflict studies. Mm -hmm. How does that fit into this picture? That seems like the opposite end, you know? Ah, but
1: I'll just save you two whole years of study (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of essay writing. The theories of peace and conflict studies are exactly the same, whether we're talking internationally or interpersonally. Because internationally are still people as well. One essay, we had to pick a conflict anywhere in the world, Israel, Palestine, whatever you like. I chose my husband's family. Oh. It was fascinating, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I had just come out of children's ministry into that study, and I was, I was a big f- fan of TIR at the time, the Aid and Development Organisation, um, and I'd been talking to my kids about that. And so part of what I looked at in my Peace and Conflict Masters was how we can raise children to become peacemakers what skills we can give them. I was going into high schools and starting social justice groups from teenagers who, who were studying legal studies and human rights and, and wanting to do something practical with it. I've been thinking about this stuff, I guess, for the last 15 years.
2: What's your goal with the book then? How does it work?
1: Well, what I would like to do is change the world. <laughs> One family at a time. I think the world needs people who care. And I'm interested in prevention rather than cure. So maybe from those early days, I know how important those first few years of life are for building trust and relationship and hope and love and self-worth and loads of things in those first couple of years of life that come back out you know, developmentally again when kids are teenagers and if those needs haven't been met, that becomes a problem later on. And I know in myself, you know, about every 10 years I have to go to a counsellor about something and it's always the same sort of thing and it's to do with my dad and, you know, and dad and I are great, we've been to a council together and that was really helpful as well. But there's a hole inside me that, that will always be there and knowledge is power and I understand it. But if we can do a really good job of parenting when kids are young and they're building their moral framework and their their natural... Generosity and compassion and sense of justice, which they're born with, if we can do a good job of fanning that into flame, then in a generation's time, we're going to be much better off. In fact, there's a fabulous book called Parenting for a Peaceful World that was one of the reasons I did the Masters as well by Robin Grill, who's a a counsellor here in Sydney. And he looked at a branch of psychology that looks at whole cultures and looks backwards. So Nazi Germany, why, why do you have a whole generation of young men prepared to listen to this crazy guy? Or Yugoslavia, the last communist country to fall. Why did they have such violent war there? And they look back to the dominant child-rearing practice a generation earlier. In Nazi Germany, a generation earlier, fathers were very distant and authoritarian. And so Paradoxically, young boys grow up wanting this stern father figure. In Yugoslavia, apparently, it was very harsh, even violent parenting practices a generation before. And violence is learnt behaviour. It's not part of the human condition. And so if we can do a really good job with our children and raise them up to care, I'm going to change the world.
2: So your book is about having these conversations that are really important and that are often quite difficult or complex about, you know, the reality of the way the world is, which is in many ways not great. Um, And those are things that people often want to protect their children from. So there's this kind of tension there between wanting to shelter them from everything that's wrong with the world, but wanting to raise kids who... Are across what's wrong with the world and want to make it a better place as you talk about how do you balance that
1: that's a very good question And do
2: you think we tip too much towards just kind of protecting kids from reality
1: reality exists so don't we want to prepare our kids for it rather than just have them blundering into it research says that porn is finding kids as young as eight years old do we want porn to just find them Or do we want to prepare them in some way? Do we want consumerism to blind our teenagers to, you know, this fashion and and having these things is what will make me a good person? Or do we want to prepare our kids that... At the moment in our culture, consumerism is rampant and this is how powerful it is and and the most highly paid psychologists are, are being paid by the advertising industry in order to get you to buy these things. It seems to me that it would be really great to prepare our kids for that so that they're aware of it and they can make a decision, an informed decision about it. It also seems to me that there are really important skills that are the foundation of everything. Relational skills, for example listening skills. If we can just help our kids to be better listeners, they will have better friendships, they will have better relationships, people will like them more and they will have a better life. But if we don't intentionally do these things, maybe they'll pick it up because we're really good listeners. But maybe they won't because we're too busy on our phones or or whatever. It just seems to me that being intentional about the things that matter is going to prepare our kids. And I don't think that um, censorship is the best way to go about things because then kids end up finding out things blind instead of from someone who loves them and and understands them and that they respect.
2: Okay, so talk us through... There are four sections to the book, or four kind of lenses on life that you outline. Can you take us through what those are and why those ones?
1: Well, I've said already that I I want to change the world. So the last section of the book is how we change the world. But you can't just jump straight there. (laughs) So the first section of the book is about relationships because nobody is in a really good position to be contributing to anything if they're unhappy because relationships are not in order. So the first section of the book is is how we listen, is how we do conflict resolution and the number one tool for conflict resolution also saving you from you know a master's degree um, and, and essays is communication. It's the one thing that we've got empathizing with another person's position. Um, So teaching our kids communication skills, teaching them about forgiveness. We talk about how it's important to forgive but actually it's difficult to forgive and so walking through what the steps of that are and if we don't talk about things like forgiveness with our kids then they're just being taught by Hollywood that the way you deal with a problem when somebody hurts you is you get out a big gun and shoot them or you punch them or you know I I don't want kids to grow up thinking that's the only way to solve a problem so the first section is relationships the second section is looking at the effects of our culture Um, Travelling is a really good way to help you see what your culture is like but otherwise you can't really see it, you just think "Eh, this is how the world is. So things like consumerism, um, the effect of technology, um, talking to kids about our use of technology as well as their use of technology, having tough conversations about the effect of porn are in that section of the book. The third section is about our inner selves. Um, It took me a while to figure out what this section was going to look like. Um, I did a really good course called The Character Course, um, which you can find online. I did psychology 30 years ago, and 15 years ago I thought, Now, why haven't they studied what's good about people instead of, you know, the psychopathologies of people? Why don't we study what makes someone humble or forgiving or loving or kind? Well, apparently in the last 10 to 20 years, they did start studying that. And the character course looks at some of those things, humility and and love and humor. And it's wonderful. I really recommend it. I think in our current culture we've let go of looking at character um, of looking at wisdom and strength and what we do when things get tough but we also don't talk very much about our spiritual lives and I and I guess spiritual and character I can use a bit interchangeably I'm talking about things like gentleness and kindness and goodness and those sorts of things I have a friend who was talking to me about an, another friend of hers was, um, who'd lost their teenage daughter to a terrible disease, and it was so, so sad, and she was so sad. And she had primary school age children at the time, and she was saying the family that lost the daughter had a very strong faith, and she could really see that that made a difference for them, that that was the way they were able to help their other kids and that was the way they were able to get through it. And my friend said what have I got to give to my children to prepare them for the inevitable hardships of life? And so I guess that section of the book is my attempt at that. And then the fourth section <laughs> is my years in, in aid and development. Um, there's some really good news about the way we've reduced extreme poverty. There's some really concrete things we can do, and I'm, I guess I'm concerned that kids are becoming depressed and overwhelmed by the big problems that they see in the world. And I think if we just leave it at that, they will grow up with a worldview that says, oh, the world's a wreck. There's nothing I can do in it. I might as well just watch Netflix. (laughs) Whereas I think if we give kids an opportunity to respond to the problems in the world when they're young, they will develop a worldview that says, oh, there's a problem in the world. There's something I can do about that. And I really like the idea of that. I've seen it in my own kids. I've been amazed by kids that are doing wild things to make this world better. And I'm hoping that in this section of the book, whatever your kids care about will come out in those conversations.
0: This is Life and Faith, and Natasha is speaking with Susie Lee. Her brand new book is called Raising Kids Who Care, Practical Conversations for Exploring Stuff That Matters Together. Coming up, talking to kids about money and climate change and finding purpose in life. Also, dealing with our failings as parents.
2: So one of the you know real distinctives of the book that you've written is that it's not just kind of an explanation of the theory of all this and... Here's how you should have better conversations with your kids. You have conversations. There's kind of activities for the family to sit down and do together. Would you like to take us through one or two of those? Um, tell us how that works, how it plays out. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've just opened the book at random. <laughs> Great.
2: This is how much you <laughs> you can trust that yes. they're all quality.
1: <laughs> um, I wrote them in kind of a structure so that each of the 40 conversations, and there's, there's 10 in each of the four sections of the book, um, have six steps. It's like, imagine you're going on a family trip, so you'll have to know where you're headed. Um, you'll have to pack your bags, so there's a section where I, I might give you a story or some information that you need to have the conversation. You read the map so that you you know, you know have the steps that you need to take. Um, and then there's on the road, which is the questions or the, the discussion points. And then there'll be an un unpacking bit after your trip where oh well how did we feel about all that you know things that might have come up and then the last one is you know making the journey matter so I might give you some suggestions for following up ideas if you like that or it's your opportunity to say right what's our action item so where I've opened it at at random is how much money matters um I read this amazing thing that parents would rather talk to their kids about sex than about money, (laughs) which (laughs) floored me. So... In the, in the packing the bag section of that one, I tell a story about how there was one family were wanting to explain to their kids how money doesn't just grow on trees. So they actually brought home their wage in coins. I just imagine the bank when you would turn up and say, can you turn this into coins? And they dumped all the coins out on the dining room table and said, right, kids, this is the money we've got for the week. And the kids, you know, like, whoa, we're rich. <laughs> then the kids and the parents together started dividing it. Okay, this is how much we need for the mortgage and this is how much we need for food and so on. And I get them to answer questions like, do your values help you decide how much money you need? It's This is in the culture section. We're, we're in a very wealthy culture at the moment and I think we don't realise that Australia is is one of the richest countries in the world and not everybody lives like this. And so it's a way of helping us understand what materialism is. Mm. There's another one that looks at a purposeful life. How do we live a, a life full of purpose? And it gets you to um, kind of draw Venn diagrams of if you think about what do you really like doing, what are you really good at, is, in, is one circle. And then there's another circle of what do you really care about? You know, is it caring for sick animals or is it world peace? <laughs> Write down that in one circle. And then what does the world need? What are some of the problems in the world? And kind of this sweet spot is when those three intersect. and And I really like the idea of helping raise kids who think that they have a purpose in life, that we're not just here to play games and, you know, it's not just about me, but, but we're here to contribute to the common good, that we're here to find something that we're good at that really meets a need for someone or something in the planet.
2: So do kids get into these conversations? They, do some kids just kind of roll their eyes and dig their heels in? Why does it work? How does it work?
1: The first iteration of this book about 10 years ago, was written for kids because I had been trying this stuff out with kids. And just in my son's public school, I would go in each week and teach special religious education to them. It was a really great way to get to know the kids that were my, the friends with my kids. And that's when I started being really amazed at how much they did care. I would just ask them simple questions or tell them stories about kids overseas. And they would want to do something about it. They, were, they felt so strongly, but they didn't, you know, they didn't know what to do with those feelings. And when I first wrote the book, I knew that kids would get into it. And I know that when I'm with them, I can, you know, stir them up to get into it, but I wasn't sure they would pick it up by themselves. And so the idea of being a book for families is that, and the families that have tried out these conversations, the parents have had to make it happen, but then they haven't been able to stop the kids talking. So... one conversation a family had the dad pushed the kids into doing it but then they talked for an hour and a half about climate change and their action at the end was the next car they bought was going to be electric Mm. so if
2: nothing else i've changed the world already (laughs) (laughs) and the kids themselves actually run the conversations yeah
1: i have a few reasons for that one is i think it will help them to become engaged But also, I don't want this to just be a book for parents. I think the parents are going to be as amazed by their children and their children's engagement and ideas and responses and desires and and hopes and dreams as the kids will be amazed that their parents care about this stuff. The family that talked about climate change, the kids were really impressed that their parents cared about this. Mm. They'd learnt about it in school or they talked with their friends. But their parents who are, you know, daily slog, they just hadn't had the conversation. Mm. And so it was a real win-win. And so I think the stumbling block with the book is going to be that families are busy and it'll be hard to think of it as, oh, one more thing we have to do. Mm. But I'm absolutely convinced that only good will come out of it. Everyone who's ha- done one of these conversations has blown me away with the wonderful conversations that they've been able to have with their kids.
2: You talk a little bit in the book about your church family, this kind of wider village, I guess, that you've been part of for a few decades now. What difference has it made to your parenting and to these things that you're talking about, raising kids who care, to have been part of a community like that?
1: So many things. Um, One thing is the emotional intelligence that they've picked up because my sons have grown up intergenerationally it's not a huge church so they knew everybody they had older teenage boys running youth groups and mentoring them when they were younger and then as my boys grew up they took on that role for younger ones my son did work experience with one of the guys at church and then his son did it with, with my husband We've run social justice activities at our church over the years, and they've been part of it. The kids have had roles to play. So they're very comfortable talking to adults. It's been one interesting thing um, that they noticed was different with their friends. Um, They've also understood the importance of hospitality as we've shared in different different people's homes and, and helped each other when things have gone wrong. Being part of a community, it became natural to my sons that we are people who care about each other, who care about the world, and and see ourselves as people who are involved in making the world better. I feel like it's all the things that I've talked about, they've developed a worldview there's a certain way the world should be, that God suggests that, You know, this kingdom of God is a place where people won't be hungry, where people will be cared for. And my boys have seen that in real life. The way my faith expresses itself is, I want to be living that now. I, I want to be part of bringing that kingdom of God to earth. Um, as it is in heaven, as they say. And so, you know, the Bible's full of examples of care for the the stranger and the oppressed. We had an asylum seeker live with us for a year. This was not a theory that my boys heard about. They saw it in my house and in other people's house in, in our community. and. Yeah, I'm really I'm really proud of the caring people they are. Uh, one is a renewable energy engineer and the other one loves birds and is into conservation and hasn't had a hot shower in years because <laughs> he wants his grandchildren to know that he did everything he could to care for the planet. The other reason I think we should have these family conversations is because as you know, parents we're so busy and we can forget our youthful idealism. And having a child tell you but we need to care for these people. It's extremely motivating.
2: (laughs) Um, I want to ask you something a bit complicated here, because you talk about your grown sons and how they are people who have grown up to care about the world and to do something about the problems that they see around them. Um, And that's almost kind of a letter of recommendation for you to be (laughs) writing this book. Look, you you did this and it worked. But then, of course, parenting isn't all kind of input equals output no. right? and that <laughs> no. can be quite a depressing or high-pressure way of thinking about it. Um, like I've heard it said that the basic principle of the universe is not we think it's cause and effect but actually it's death and resurrection, mm. that's something you sow something and maybe it <laughs> sprouts into this yeah. plant. I wonder if you could comment on like parenting is still going to be so imperfect and even if people tick all the boxes and do all the things in your book, like it doesn't always work out, right?
1: why do you think I want to teach kids about forgiveness? They
2: need to forgive me.
1: <laughs> um, I really hope that I haven't given that suggestion that everything should be perfect and the feedback I've had is that I don't talk like that. Honestly, most of the time I've just watched in amazement as my kids have turned out to be these wonderful people and you know, maybe I'm writing the book to try and figure out how that happened. <laughs> they definitely take after their wonderful father, that could be. Um, I think what I'm hoping with the book is that parents and children will will walk along together. I often say to my kids, I'm just making this up as I go along. <laughs> and there's something humble about that and there's something kind of relaxing as well. If you feel like you've always got to be teaching your kids and you've always got to know the answer, it, what, what a terrible burden to bear because we don't. And so that's part of my faith as well, I, I think... Being a Christian is recognising, I can't do this on my own, I need help. And starting from that point is not a bad way to set up your kids either.
0: This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, and Natasha Moore.
2: Our thanks to Susie Lee for sharing with us her time, her expertise and some of her own story of being part of various families and the effect they have on us.
0: Susie's book, again, is called Raising Kids Who Care, Practical Conversations for Exploring Stuff That Matters Together. Now, it's out on June 20, but if you're listening to this before then, the ebook is actually available on Amazon for 99 cents this week, up until the 20th. So you could even spend a dollar to check it out and then order a hard copy. If you think this book could work for you, the kids in your life, whether they're your kids, grandkids, nieces and nephews... God, children, students, whatever. Next week. I think we in the West have told ourselves that part of our mission
2: is to constantly seek to secure ourselves against the rest of humanity. And I think it's been disastrous for our national health and well-being and happiness. I think there's a real hollowness that we feel um, in Australia and elsewhere in the West as we're aware of the enormous harm that we're doing to vulnerable outsiders, but we've just somehow convinced ourselves that we need to do it for our own safety I think we need to really be wrestling anew with what we want to be as Australians.